Take your Bibles and turn to Judges chapter 6, please. Judges chapter 6, and we continue in our study uh, through the Judges. And in this study, we will not necessarily cover every single passage or every single chapter of the book of Judges. We're primarily focusing on the, the lives of the Judges themselves. And we'll continue to do so as we work our way through. Uh, before, before I forget... Um, today is the last day to sign the card for Brother Lambert, uh, birthday card, I believe it was. It's on the back usher's table, I think. And so today's the last day to sign that. If you want to say a kind word to Brother Lambert, that would be great. Also, a uh, reminder that we are having choir practice this afternoon after church for the adult choir. And so please remember that. And then uh, also, um, we still need some help uh, to move some of Miss Kathy's furniture and things on Saturday, and it's going to be a morning move. She's kind of leaving the time up to me, and I'm thinking if we can get over there at 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, get things going, we should be done around 10, maybe a little after. So um, I'm going to be helping with that, and I need some more help with that. So if you could find some time Saturday morning, about 9 o'clock, only going to take maybe an hour or so to move those things. It's not a hard job. Uh, please come see me. I would appreciate that, and so would Miss Kathy. And so please help if you can, all right? Thank you. <clears throat> okay, Judges chapter 6. And we're going to look at verses 33 through 40 for our text verses this afternoon. And we've been studying the life of Gideon here uh, and working our way through chapter 6 and drawing out some, some real life principles, some parallels for our own life from the life of Gideon. And our text is, is going to be verses 33 through 40, and so follow along. The Bible says that all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also was gathered after him, him and he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow, and thrust the fleece together, and wringed the dew out of the fleece a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. I want to talk to you this afternoon about the challenge of Gideon. We've seen the cultivation of Gideon. We, see, we have seen that God was preparing Gideon for, for a great task, for some service to the Lord that was impossible with men. Uh, and God was calling him to that. Gideon wasn't ready for that yet. And so God took him along one step at a time to grow his faith, to grow his confidence in the Lord. And remember that God had said uh, back in verse 11 
that Gideon was a mighty man of valor. Well, that's not really uh, what we initially see of Gideon ourselves, but that's what God saw concerning Gideon. And when we find Gideon, we find that Gideon, uh, in verse 11, and there came an angel of the Lord and sat under, uh, under an oak, which was an Ophrah, and pertained unto Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. What we find is Gideon hiding. What we find is, is a man who, a young, though a young man who is discouraged and who was defeated. That's what we see of Gideon. But God calls him a mighty man of valor. And so God saw something in him uh, that he would be, what God would make him to be. And although he wasn't ready for that task, God was going to grow him. And so Gideon's faith needed to grow. So God tests Gideon, and he gives him something to do that is very easily accomplished, even under his own strength and his own power. All Gideon needed to do was obey the Lord. That's all he needed to do. And what God told him to do was to tear down the altar of Baal and to build an altar unto the Lord. Gideon did that. Gideon obeyed. And what Gideon found was that God was faithful to him. The people didn't like it, but God was still faithful to Gideon. And Gideon's obedience even then impacted other people's lives. And that brings us to our text today. And what we're going to see in Gideon, I think, is very relatable. It's very relevant, and it's something that I think we're going to be able to see a little of ourselves in as we walk through the situation with Gideon. So I want us to consider this passage of Scripture. And what we're going to see is we're going to see Gideon waver between faith and fear. And we do that sometimes. We waver between faith and fear. Where we trust the Lord, we believe the Lord, but other times we're fearful and not as trusting or ready to obey. And so I want to preach on the challenge of Gideon today and draw some things out about this passage that are relevant for you and me today. And so pay attention, try to stay awake the best you can, and I'll try not to be long, I'll try the best I can. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today, and Lord, we thank you for its impact in our life, that it works effectually in those who allow it to, those that believe the word of God, those that love the Word of God, that want the Word of God to shape their life. The Word of God is powerful, and it effectually works in the lives of people who believe in the Lord. And I pray that you'd use it again this afternoon. Lord, I pray that we would uh, quiet our minds, and Lord, that you'd give energy to stay awake, and Lord, that we would engage with your Word today and, and, and be able to be strengthened uh, in the inner man. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to draw out here is in verses 33 and verse 34. And what we find is Gideon's faith. Okay? Verse 33 and verse, the first part of verse 34. And the Bible says here, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. 
As this scene opens up here for us, what we see is that Gideon was a man who was energized, a man who was even excited uh, to serve the Lord. He certainly had been through a test. He was probably was excited about his recent victory even. And what we find is that Gideon is actually calling the people of Israel to war. That's what it means when the Bible says he blew a trumpet and they were gathered after him. It, uh, Gideon was calling the people to war. This is the Gideon that the Lord saw, the mighty man of valor. His first uh, task that God gave him, that God told him ultimately what he was going to do, was that he was going to deliver the nation of Israel out of the hands of the Midianites. Go back to verse 12 of chapter 6. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And so what we see is that God commissioned him to deliver God's people from the hands of the Midianites. So here we find now that Gideon is blowing the trumpet and he's calling the people to war. I want to consider Gideon for just a minute. A couple of facts here. First of all, consider Gideon's enemy. Now the Bible says here that uh, in verse 33 that all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together. And they went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. Now what we need to remember is that what's happening right now is it's harvest time. And you remember when we first saw Gideon that he was threshing wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites? Remember that? Why did he do that? Well, let's go back and take a little bit of a look here. And I think we need to start in verse 1 and read down and see what's actually going on. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of, the, of Midian seven years. So take note of that. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains, and caves and strongholds. And so it was, when Israel had sown, that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come to Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor oxen, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Now, that description here was happening for seven years. When we get to our text in verse 33, the Bible says that the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. What is going on here? 
Well, just like what has been happening the last prior six years or seven years, they've all come together. It's harvest time. They're going to come and do exactly what they've done in the past and destroy the land and take all the crops, take all their cattle and leave nothing for Israel again. That's what's going on here. The invaders were significant in number. And the Bible tells us they came as grasshoppers for multitude. Even their camels and their, their, their soldiers were without number. We're also told that the enemy of Israel made their camp in the valley of Jezreel. You see that in verse 33? <clears throat> this valley was the largest and most fertile valley in all of Israel. Many of the crops that they would plant that sustained the nation were produced in the valley of Jezreel. And so having the enemy come and invade and take the harvest from that area would be a serious blow to the food supply of the nation again. The valley of Jezreel is an important valley. The valley of Jezreel is also known as the valley of Megiddo. I did some study on this and actually saw uh, some geographical you know, pictures and, and, uh, from different mountaintops around there overlooking the valley of Jezreel into the valley of Megiddo and you see Mount Geboa and you see uh, uh, of these other mountains across this valley. And also in my reading and my studies, I was able to uncover that, that there were, number one, there were a lot of significant battles that took place in the valley of Jezreel or the valley of Megiddo in the Bible. Beyond just the significant battles that took place uh, that were biblical, in modern times or current times, many battles have been fought in the valley of Jezreel. Uh, no less than eight, the Bible records no less than eight very significant battles that took place right there in the valley of Jezreel, also known as the valley of Megiddo. The thing that is a side note that I just wanted to bring out to you is that there's another battle that's going to be fought in the Valley of Megiddo. And it's there on that battleground that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to defeat the Antichrist and all of his armies at the end of the tribulation period. Amen. Many battles have been fought in the Valley of Jezreel. So here we find that the armies come up, the nations come up, it's harvest time. They're going to do what they've done in the past. They encamp in the valley of Jezreel, the fertile ground where the crops are. And then look at verse 34, because we see Gideon's engagement here. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezer was gathered after him. When the enemy comes, Gideon has the courage to do what nobody else has done in the last seven years. From that period of time, the war trumpets of Israel were silent. Nobody had picked up a trumpet and called the people to war. No one in the land possessed the courage to blow that trumpet and call people to what might be their final day. Gideon was ready for the task that God had assigned him to do. And he places in his hands that trumpet, Gideon gets himself ready, and he blows that trumpet to call Israel to the battle. What gave Gideon the courage and the energy to do that? Well, verse 34 tells us 
that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Where did Gideon get the kind of courage to do what no one else would do? Well, the Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. God took control of Gideon and caused him to sound the war call. This man blowing this trumpet, calling Israel to war, is not the same Gideon that we saw back in verse 11. Verse 11, finds, we find a man who's defeated. We find a man who is discouraged. We find a man who is filled with doubt. But this Gideon, he's decisive. This Gideon is daring. This Gideon is determined. Something has happened to Gideon. Something has changed in Gideon for the time being. Something, or that something, is the power of the Spirit of God. What happened in Gideon's life? Well, first of all, we know that Gideon had a personal encounter with God. We read that in verses 11 through 24. He has this conversation with the Lord. And the Lord, and he argues with the Lord why he's not the guy for the job. And the Lord tells him what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, and to just go and obey what I've told you to do. So Gideon has this personal encounter with the Lord. But then we know that Gideon made a commitment to obey the Lord. Because we read in verses 25 through 32 that Gideon obeyed what God said to do. Go tear down the altar and build an altar. And now... He's come under the control of the Holy Spirit of God in verse 34. And God enables him, or is going to enable him, to do what he's called him to do. And let me say to you, when those things take place in a person's life, they're not going to be the same. When a person has a personal encounter with the Lord, when a person decides that they're going to obey God and do what he's called them to do, when a person comes under the control of the Holy Spirit of God, they're not going to be the same. Gideon met the Lord and his life changed. And the same principle holds true in our life. The power to really do something for the Lord only comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We try to do a lot of things, and we serve, and we do, and we do, and we do. But the power to really do something for the Lord only comes from the Spirit of God. We're the temple of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. God owns you. God owns me. God wants to use us, but the power to do something for the Lord only comes from the Lord. And because we're God's, we're to yield control of our lives to His will. Ephesians 5.18 commands us to be filled with the Spirit of God. And when Gideon sounds this war trumpet, all of a sudden we see that the people start to come. They start to rally around him. And so let's take a, a minute just to consider all of these people who start to respond to Gideon's call. Look at verse 34 again. The Bible says, first of all, that Abiezer was gathered after him. Then we find that he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also were gathered after him. And he sent messengers unto Asher, and unto Zebulun, and unto Naphtali, and they came up to meet him. First of all, Gideon had a following going on here. But the following that we first see was a close following. And what I mean by that is the Bible tells us that Abiezer 
came to stand with Gideon. Do you know who that is? That's a reference to Gideon's own clan. The very same people that wanted to kill him for tearing down the altar of Baal are now people who want to follow his leadership. Their attitude has changed concerning Gideon. And let me just say to you in passing that you never know what a step of obedience and faith in your life will accomplish in the life of somebody else around you. I always get encouraged when I hear some of you testify of something that was brought into your path that you knew was of the Lord, and you took the step and you witnessed to somebody or you said a word or you did this, and I hear about it or you tell me about it, it encourages my soul. Or when we're singing songs and somebody like Daniel raises his voice and says, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! That encourages my soul because God has done something in his life and he's responding to the Lord. It impacts my life. And what I'm saying, may we all have the same desire that my life would be used of God to impact somebody else for righteousness. We live such selfish lives. Every day is about my schedule and every day is about my goal. Every day is about what's going on with me. And may we say, Lord, I want my life to make a difference in somebody else's life. Like the way that I respond to them when they have a need. Or what, the way I respond to them when they don't treat me very well or kindly. Or like that my life would just, I, I'm surrendered to the Lord, and Lord, I just want to be used of you. And I'm just going about serving the Lord, and it starts to influence and impact other people and encourage them in the same way towards godliness. What does Hebrews teach us? Hebrews chapter 10, that we're to provoke one another unto love into good works. That's what our life ought to be. And we ought to have the same desire in, my, in life that, 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 that I would have the kind of life that provokes one another unto love, into good works. Is that you? Gideon's obedience impacted other people. The very same ones that wanted to kill him were now ones who wanted to stand behind him and follow. That's encouraging. You never know what your life of obedience will do in the life of somebody else. Secondly, we see a committed following because verse 35 tells us that he calls these other tribes living around them to come to the battle and several of them respond to Gideon's call. Judges chapter 7 and verse 3 tells us that Gideon has an army of 32,000 men. Look at that in chapter 7 verse 3. Now therefore go to proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. So Gideon would have had thirty-two thousand people here who wanted to follow him into battle initially. And we look at that number and we say, well, that number is actually really small when you compare it with the Midianites and the Amalekites because the Bible tells us they had an army of 135,000 people. 32,000 is nothing compared to 135,000. But what we're going to see later on is that God doesn't even need 
32,000 to defeat the armies of his people. And before the dust settles, the enemy and the enemies defeated, God is going to whittle it down to just 300 men to defeat the vast army of the Midianites. But the point is, Gideon's obedience impacted the lives of other people. And we ought to thank God for people in our lives or people around us who possess a bold faith. People who stand and testify, I just know that the Lord led me this way. And, or here's what happened in my life this week. You know what? I was going about my business and I was about shopping. I was in Home Depot and I, was, and I ran into this person. And this person, uh, I just knew it was of the Lord and I just started talking to them. And God used me. I know God used me in their life to bring conviction or to bring encouragement or something like that. And they testify of that. And in my soul, I'm saying, praise the Lord. I want God to use me like that too. I want the same kinds of things in my life. And we ought to rejoice when there are people around us who have a bold faith and they possess this bold faith. And we should pray and ask the Lord to make me that kind of a person for his glory so that my life would truly impact others for eternity. We live on such a temporal plane, the day-to-day. We don't think eternal things. We don't think about spiritual things. And like my life, it's not about today, and it's not about the temporal. It's about the eternal and how God wants to use me for, for eternity. How do you think? How do you think day to day? Well, may we have the same heart that wants to obey the Lord and ask the Lord to use our life. Then we come to verses 36 through 40, and this is where I want to really spend our time because we're going to look at Gideon and his fleece. And this is really the portion that I wanted us to get to. And here's where we see Gideon waver from faith to fear. Gideon seems publicly like he's full of faith and confidence. And he blows the trumpet and he calls people to war. But privately, Gideon's a little bit different. Look at this. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool on the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only... And it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And then the next verses go on and say that Gideon reversed it. And Gideon's like, not, still not quite certain, so we'll do this one more time, but this time, make it the other way around, and then I'll know that God is going to do what he said he would do. And what we find here in these verses that Gideon displayed some great courage in calling the people to war and gathering together his army. In public, he seemed to be full of confidence, but in private, Gideon is still filled with doubts concerning what the Lord has called him to do. And in these verses, we're going to see the doubt of Gideon on display. And I want to look at what Gideon did and what we can learn from this to avoid doing the same thing. Because what Gideon did wasn't actually pleasing unto the Lord. First of all, consider Gideon's doubt. 
Verse 36 says, And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. The key word in this verse is the word if. You notice that? God had already told Gideon repeatedly what he wanted him to do. We read it in verse 12. We read it in verse 14. We read it in verse 16. God not only told Gideon what he wanted him to do, but he also told him how it's going to happen. And so God laid it out for Gideon. But Gideon wasn't content to simply trust the Lord and take him at his word. Gideon wants some kind of tangible proof that he can see, that he can touch with his hands, that he can see with his eyes, that God is is truly going to do what God said he would do. You ever been there? You ever been there in your life? Where you want to control everything and you want to see exactly all how it's going to work out and you want to be able to touch and see and feel and handle all these things and that's going to give me the confidence that God is the one who's leading. Well, look at Gideon's requests in verse 37. Behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor and if the dew be on the fleece only and it be dry on all the earth beside... Then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. Notice he's saying the words, as thou hast said. He said it over and over again. Gideon knew. He knew exactly what God said. Is he calling God a liar? Is he doubting the the power of God? Absolutely, he's doubting the power of God here. Now look at verse 39. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. What do you mean but this once? You already did. You're doing it again. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. You already tried that with the fleece once. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground. Let there be dew. So here's Gideon's requests. Gideon comes up with these little tests to determine God's will. In verse 37, he places this sheepskin on the ground and he asks the Lord to make the fleece wet and the ground around it to be dry. Verse 38 tells us that God did exactly as Gideon asked him to do. And you would think, okay, here is your little test, Gideon. God did what you asked him to do. And Gideon said, then shall I know that you're going to do this. However, that didn't satisfy the mind of Gideon, even though he was able to wring a bowl full of water out of that fleece, he's still not convinced, even though he said, then shall I know. Maybe in Gideon thought something like this. He gets up in the morning and he sees that that fleece is wet. He pulls it together and he wrings it out and there's a bowl full of water And then all of a sudden, Gideon thinks, well, everybody knows that a piece of sheepskin is like a sponge. It's going to soak up all the available moisture, even that's in the air. So was it God that did this, or was it something natural? So then the next night, he says, well, he asked God to reverse the conditions of the test. And he says, make the ground wet and the fleece dry, 
then I'll know. And the Bible tells us that God did that too. And what we find here is that Gideon was testing God rather than trusting God. Gideon was dictating to God instead of obeying God. And the application is this, and I think it's worth our time to talk about this matter of putting out of the fleece. I think we've all been there and we've all done that at times in our life. We set up our little tests to prove the Lord. And, and I want us to talk about this issue or this practice of putting out the fleece because it's not something that pleases the Lord. And I want to show you the problem with the fleece and we'll use Gideon as our example. First of all, Gideon put his test out to the Lord. But when it was all said and done, Gideon faced the exact same problem. Gideon was in this position where he was not taking God at his word. This is part of the problem with putting out the fleece. We're not taking God at his word. God told Gideon what he wanted him to do. He told him how it was going to happen. God said, you're going to do this, and I'm going to give you the power to do it. But Gideon wasn't willing to simply trust the Lord by faith. Listen, the Bible tells us that God expects his people to walk with him in humble faith. Faith in his word, faith in his promises, faith in his character. Romans 1.17 says, The just shall live by faith. It is the will of God that we live by faith. When we seek tangible signs, and we seek things like that to determine the will of God, instead of taking God at His word, we're displeasing the Lord. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 6, But without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. When we're not living by faith, and we're throwing out the fleece and testing God, not taking men as word, it can cause us to fall into sin. Romans 14, 23 says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. But we can trust the Lord, we can trust His Word because God promised that He would lead. God promised that He would guide. God is a God who cannot lie. We read in Psalm 32 and verse 8, God says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. The first problem with Gideon putting out the fleece is that he was not taking God at his word. He wanted some sort of tangible thing to verify, and he was doubting God. Another problem I see in Gideon's fleece is that Gideon dictated the terms to God. Gideon's responsibility was not to tell the Lord how things would be. His responsibility was simply to obey the will of God for his life. And you know what? Our duty is the same. We're commanded to obey his word. We're commanded uh, to, to follow him even without question when the Lord speaks. We read this morning, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we ought to present our bodies a living sacrifice. You know the sacrifice doesn't get to dictate the terms. The sacrifice is completely used up. Thirdly, Gideon's test didn't actually increase his faith or confirm God's will for him. Did you notice that? 
Gideon puts this test out to make sure that it's God, but his little test didn't actually confirm his faith or grow his faith or confirm the will of God. Gideon Gideon learned that seeking a sign doesn't solve his problem. So he puts out this fleece and he says, then shall I know? And then it comes back just like he asked. And all of a sudden he's still doubting. He's got to do it again. He got a wet fleece the first time, but he still wasn't sure it was the Lord's work. He might have been thinking, did God cause the fleece to be wet? Or did the fleece simply draw moisture from the air? The point is this, Gideon was not better off after the first fleece than he was before. He still had the same promises from the Lord but he still also possessed the same problem of doubt. And the application is this. When we throw out our fleece before the Lord and we set the conditions, what we're doing is setting ourselves up for more doubt. For instance, you might be in a situation where you're trying to find God's will in a matter. And so you pray something like this. Lord, if this is your will, let so-and-so call me by 7 p.m. today. Then I'll know that this is your will. Well, what if so-and-so calls you at 7.01? Does that mean God is telling you no? Or does it mean your clock is just a minute fast? What does it actually mean? Or what if so-and-so calls you at 6.59? Does that mean that God is saying yes to you? Or does it mean that, well, it's just the devil who's trying to make you doubt? Or does it mean that your clock is just a minute slow? What does it mean? You see the problem here? Lord, if this is your will, I'm dictating the terms to you. If you do this, then I'll know. That's not the method for finding the will of God. Or maybe it's something like this. If the next car that I see come around the bend on Badger Road is the one that's just like the one I want, well, then I'll know that God is saying that I should buy this new car. Maybe it's an ugly Jeep that needs to be refurbished or something like that. I don't know. I'm kidding, Josh. It's a great Jeep. (laughs) I love what you're doing with it. We put out this little test this little fleece. And then even when things go almost like we asked for them to go, we're still prone to doubt that God is in it. God is providing things. And it's like, I can control this and I can dictate the terms. And man, look, it's all just falling right into place. Confident it's the Lord's will. Oh, but then the next thing and I'm doubting again and so on. Listen, if you can't take God at his word, you're never going to be able to trust a fleece. Gideon learned that truth, that he wasn't any better off after the first one. And I think that we need to learn that lesson as well. I heard one preacher say, there's no peace in the fleece. <laughs> it's true. That's a good saying. The real problem with putting out the fleece is that the fleece is always placed out of doubt and not faith. Putting out a fleece or giving these little tests is not the biblical method for determining the will of God. 
So you might say, well, how does God guide his people then? How do we determine the will of God? Well, the Bible tells us exactly how we can know that God leads us into his will for our lives. The Bible tells us, first of all, that God is going to guide us through his spirit. John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. And what I'm saying here is when the Lord is prompting or when the Lord is leading in your life, the spirit of God is going to prompt us in our heart when God is beginning to move in a certain direction. God's never going to lead us in, in something that the Spirit of God is not also prompting us in. Now, we may not always understand it right away. We may not always have that full confidence right away. But, in fact, there might be something that the Lord is leading in that we don't necessarily want to do ourselves, but there's something back inside of my heart and in my mind that's just telling me, there's something that's compelling me inside that, you know what, even if I don't understand it or even if I don't want to do this, there's just something that I cannot get away from. It's the Spirit of God beginning to prompt, beginning to move. Not only does he guide through his spirit, but the Bible tells us that God guides through his word. In Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know what? The will of God will never, ever, ever contradict or conflict with God's word. Like, well, I think God's telling me to do something. But it's in direct con conflict or contradiction to the principles of God's word. Automatically, we know it's not of the Lord. He leads us through his word. Many times the Bible says this, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. doesn't always say that, but we definitely know that the word of God spells it out for us. But other times... We need to go searching. We need to go searching whether these things be so. And sometimes there might be something that we're wavering in or we don't know for sure if, if, the, if the Lord is leading this way. And, and how many times do you pick up your Bible and you open up your Bible and you say, Lord, you said that you would guide me from your word. I need an answer from you. I just want to do your will. Lord, show me. I'm going to read your word. And Lord, you show me. Have you ever done that? I remember very distinctly when I was trying to discern whether or not God was really moving me to Alaska or not. I've told you this before. It's not something I actually wanted to do myself. That wasn't on my radar. But there was something compelling about it. And it was very earnest and very serious in trying to know the will of God. This is a big deal. And I remember talking to the Lord and asking the Lord to show me and to reveal it to me. And I, I opened up my Bible on more than one occasion. But I opened up my Bible and I began to read, just praying that the Lord would speak to me through His Word. And I came across a passage of Scripture in the Gospels where the Bible says that he that is willing to forsake father and mother and lands and houses 
for my sake and the gospel. The promise was that I'll return it a hundredfold. Friends, family, lands, houses, all of those things. And I remember the Lord just taking that passage and the Spirit of God just confirming in my mind, you can trust me. Here, yeah, you're leaving your life. You're leaving all that you've ever known. You're leaving a, a church that you grew up in. You're leaving your family. You're leaving friends. You're leaving all of these things. But you're going to do it for my sake in the Gospels. And don't be afraid because the promise is in this life and the next, I'll return it a hundredfold. And the Lord just took the Word of God and the promise and the Spirit of God and just told me, spoke to my heart, this is the way. God will do that. How do we get an answer from the Lord? Well, you know what? You better open up your Bible and you better ask the Lord to speak to you through His Word to confirm it in your heart and your mind because this is one of the ways that we determine the will of God. He speaks through His Word. And sometimes you've got to go searching. Is that how you make decisions? God guides through His Word. God guides through His Spirit. The Bible also tells us that God does guide through His peace. In Colossians 3 and verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. You know what? You may not always feel it like you want it. And you may not feel it right away. But there is such a thing as the peace that God gives. Sometimes the peace comes later. Sometimes it's after you take the step of faith. Sometimes it comes from little confirmations along the way that God is using just to verify in your heart and your mind that you're going in the right direction. But God does say He's going to give His peace. God guides through desires that He gives. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. When the Bible says that you delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart, he isn't saying that he's going to give me what I desire. Like, I have these desires, and God's going to make it come true. Rather, God is the one who is going to place the desire in my heart. I delight my way in the Lord, and He shall give me the desire of my heart. God's going to place the desire in my heart to do His will. Amen. You say, Lord, I just want to please you. just want to serve you. just want to obey you. Lord, you know that. You know my heart. That's the delighting my way in the Lord. And when that is the heart attitude, then God begins to place in us the desire for wherever He leads. The Lord may call a man to preach. I don't have a desire for that. I don't want to do that. 
But it might just be that there's not actually a surrendered heart or life to the Lord. And it might just be that you get to the point where you say, okay, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just want to please you and obey you. That all of a sudden the Lord begins to place the desire in the heart that is toward his will. God also guides through godly counsel. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 and verse 14, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. When God is leading, all of those things are in agreement. All of those things begin to line up. A lot of times people don't go ask for advice or counsel because they don't want to hear what they probably are going to hear. Or they already know what the council is going to say, and I don't want to hear that, so I'm not going to go ask. Many times people want something for themselves, and so they convince themselves or others by simply saying, well, I have peace about this. I've prayed, and I have peace about this. You ever heard people say that? That's a good way to use Christian lingo to manipulate and get what you want. I've prayed and I have peace about this. Well, is it in conflict with the Word of God? If it is, then the peace that you got is not from the Lord. Is the Spirit of God compelling and leading? Do your spiritual counselors also see the hand of God in that? You get advice and counsel because in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. And what I'm saying is when God guides, the leadership of the Spirit is going to line up with the Word of God. It's also going to line up with good godly counsel. And these assurances that come into our life give us direction and peace in our heart that God is the one leading in this direction. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, the peace of God combines to give you direction for what the Lord is leading you to do. And others around you will see the hand of God in that decision also. Point is, you don't need a fleece to determine God's will for your life. Amen. You merely need to listen to the Lord. He's going to speak through His Word, by His Spirit, giving you a desire for His will. And He's going to provide peace for you in doing so, especially when your godly counsel also sees the hand of God in it. Forget the fleece. Walk by faith. Well, some people say, well, didn't God honor Gideon's fleece? Because the Bible says God did as He asked. Some would even say, that God has honored their fleece in their life too because they've done this. And the answer to that is yes, God did honor Gideon's fleece. Why did he do it? Well, God did it because he's gracious and God was still developing Gideon's faith in the Lord. He did it because he understands our human condition. That Gideon wavered between faith and fear. And I'm glad that God knows our frame and that He remembers that we are dust. Amen? And while God honored Gideon's fleece, it's not His will that we should determine the direction for our lives by seeking signs from the Lord. You remember what Jesus said about those who 
seek after a sign. He condemned it. We've got something that Gideon didn't have. We've got the completed Word of God. We've got the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. And God's will is that we take His Word, we saturate our lives with its truth, and we trust Him to take us where He's going to take us for His glory. Far more will be accomplished in our life if we would simply take God at His Word and step out by faith. So the question is, as we close, where does the message find you? Are you faithfully doing what the Lord has called you to do? Or do you hold back out of a lack of faith in Him? Number two, are you guilty of looking for signs instead of simply taking God at His word? And if the Lord has spoken to you about this issue of faith in your life, what you should do is confess it to Him and ask Him for His grace and His help to live by faith. And I'll tell you this, even when it's scary, following His will, you'll never be sorry. But if you choose not to follow His will, you will ever be sorry. God's will is the best. It's perfect. Amen? We need to follow it, but it requires that we live and we walk by faith. God wants to grow us in our faith. And we can waver between faith and fear sometimes. But let us always remember that we can trust God. We can trust His Word that it never fails. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, encourage our hearts. Thank you for the truth from your word. Thank you that it's so relevant for life and living even today. And we have great examples that we can look to that ought to challenge us, that ought to encourage us. We have far more going for us in the word of God than those even in the Old Testament had. And, and Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen us and help us to grow as well in our faith. The just shall live by faith, and without faith it's impossible to please you. So Lord, may we submit and surrender to that work that you do in our life. And Lord, that you would grow us up strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, so that we can serve You. Take Your people and use them, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.